0: This is Michael Easley, In Context. This is one of my huge pet peeves, and just because we're friends, I'm gonna tell you. I hate when people use the word awesome. It's awesome, it's awesome. Have you seen the new Mac? It's awesome. Only God is awesome. The only person, the only being who should create a reverential fear is God. And now your host, Dr. Michael Easley. When you envision God, how do you see him? Do you see him as the the white-bearded man? Do you see him as a judge? Do you see him as this entity? How do you envision God? Scripture gives us some pretty clear instruction about who God is, about his character, about how he works, how he acts, who he is. I think we have reduced God to an entity of some kind in our sanctified imagination. We think he should perform a certain way. We think he should act a certain way. We, specifically, we want him to answer prayer in a very specific way. I mean, how many of us have asked God for a good thing? We have a friend who's suffering from ovarian cancer. We have a friend who has Alzheimer's. We know a child who is breaking their parent's heart. We know a marriage that is falling apart. We have, we have good things, and we, we knock on heaven's door, and we think by persistence and some sort of repetitious phrase that God should come through for us. Uh, Unfortunately, we've reduced prayer and we've reduced God uh, to a formula. If we do this, then God should do that. The good thing about Scripture is it teaches us how to approach God the way he intended, how we pray, how we ask, how we lament, how we petition. In Psalm 65, we're, we're given a prayer that begins with, God hears us. He forgives us. He blesses us. And then the psalmist takes a turn to talk about God's sovereignty, who he is, the character of God, the kind of God he is. And it helps us reframe our poor picture of God into a more accurate picture of who God is and how he works. Let's continue in Psalm 65, living life from the heart, originally given at the Billy Graham Training Center at The Cope. Cindy and I have a great heart for many of these international ministries. I know BGEA is doing things overseas. IJM is one that we've become familiar with in the last few years. And what they're doing is extraordinary, and they're fighting for justice. And there's something in me that just says, yeah, I like that idea, of justice. Where does that come from? It comes from being a people of God. We believe God is right and just, and there are right and just ways to do things. And notice then he ties it in verse 5, You answer us in righteousness, meaning God always does the right thing in the right way. O God of our salvation! So the connection is, He's a righteous God, but He can still save us. How in the world can this happen? Because if He's righteous, He should destroy us. And this is where the power of Yahweh comes in. And he mentions it in the next strophe. You who are the trust of all the ends of the earth. In other words, there's nothing that escapes your righteousness. You are the only one who can provide salvation. There's no salvation apart from man. Now watch how he describes God's omnipotence. Verse 5, awesome deeds. Verse 6, establishes the mountains. Verse 7, stills the roaring seas, the waves, the tumult. Verse uh, verse 8, you make the dawn and sunset shout for joy. Does any of those remind you of Jesus? He calmed the seas at least twice, didn't he? He just said, be still. And the poor disciples were scared out of their bejeebers. That's in the Hebrew. (laughs) Who is this that even the wind and seas obey? We saw it in the life of Jonah. We see it in the life of Jesus. Uh, when, When Ike and Gustav came through, I thought, you know, Jesus could just say, stop. All man can do is, you know, throw sandbags and say, run away. Jesus just says, stop. That's the kind of power this omnipotent God has. It will be no surprise that the word awesome is from the word what? When you're in awe of something, what's the emotion going on? Fear. It's about fear. And when you're afraid of something, you stand in awe of it. And when you're not afraid, you just yawn and go back to sleep because you don't have enough chocolate in your system. (laughs) And you need chocolate because you're falling asleep. (laughs) Awe is a word of fear. Um, God is not arbitrary in his power. When he does things like calm seas and the tumults of people, he's doing it for a reason. The sovereign is always deliberate. The sovereign always has intent behind his actions. And the psalmist is saying, when you do these things, you're displaying your omnipotence. It's not just, oh, isn't this a beautiful day? You're showing something about your character. And the last strophe says that the dawn and the sunset shout for joy. Let me talk a little bit about the word awesome. The word fear and its cognates occur 320 times in the Old Testament. It's a big theme through the Bible. People are afraid. What is the number one command in Scripture? Don't be afraid. Who do you tell not to be afraid? Who, who do you tell not to be afraid? The fearful. Someone who's afraid. Why did, why did God tell Joshua over and over and over again, do not be afraid? That's a bad throw. Heads up. Heads up. That was a bad throw. Why does he tell him over and over and over, do not be afraid? Because he's terrified. You don't tell someone who's courageous and unafraid, take, strong, fear, uh, take courage and be strong. Joshua's scared to death. Be strong, have courage. Be strong, have courage. Don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Angels show up, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Why? They're terrified. Now, this is one of my huge pet peeves, and just because we're friends, I'm going to tell you. I hate when people use the word awesome, it's awesome. It's awesome. Have you seen Facebook? It's awesome. Have you seen the new Mac? It's awesome. Have you seen the new what? It's awesome. It's so awesome, dude. It's awesome. When I was in college, we said just really. Those were the words we used. Lord, just really. Would you really just, just really help us to just really, just really, just really, really, just really? Just really you know, do you remember that? And now it's awesome, 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 awesome. Only God is awesome. The only. Person, the only being who should create a reverential fear is God. And much like we thought through last night, we should recover this awesomeness of who our Savior is. Many times in the Scripture, people are awestruck. Deuteronomy 5.5, you remember when God speaks at the mountain and the people are terrified. And they say, Moses, uh, from now on, you go up there and we'll stay down here. And you tell that God, we don't want to hear him anymore. Uh, We're happy for you to listen to him, and you come down and give us a report. I think you and I would have been just the same. Maybe Caleb and Joshua were somewhere up on the mountain. Joshua certainly was, and I think they were not afraid. They were rare men. But everybody else was scared and terrified. Because when you come near Holiness, you will be afraid. The omnipotence and the awesome nature of Yahweh, quieted crowds, quieted storms, calm seas, and when he came on the scene, people were quiet. I love the way the psalmist moves it from the abstract to the emotional when he talks about the dawn and sunset shout for joy. How many of us are suckers for a sunrise and a sunset? Is anybody not When Cindy and I left uh, O'Hare yesterday morning was we we drove to the airport in the dark and when we were taxiing out of the airport Cindy says look and you can see just this ribbon of orange and red uh, off the edge of the east and as we took off it was kind of soupy and mucky and rainy and foggy and you get up about twenty thousand feet and she nudges me look and look out it's just white sunshine and clouds as bright as the day I said you know 30,000 feet puts a whole different perspective on everything. And right down there, it's still the same as it was a few minutes ago. It's mucky and, and cloudy and overcast and humid up here. It's bright. And we're just suckers for sunrises and sunsets. You think there's a theology behind that? What the psalmist seems to conclude is a universal appeal to the dawn and the sunset. They shout for joy. Next time you're looking, maybe tonight when you're looking at the sunset, that's creation telling us Yahweh, Jesus Christ. Creation cannot not declare. When you go to the ocean and you stand by and you hear the waves crashing, and the psalmist says, The oceans shout for joy. That's what the oceans are doing. The oceans aren't simply following the lunar cycle. The oceans are under the command of Yahweh Elohim, under his sovereign, omnipotent control, and they're doing what he designed them to do. And what they're doing is they're putting attention back on Yahweh because they say, you're just infinitesimal when you stand against the ocean of God. You see these aerial pictures of the hurricanes when they come through? If you've never seen these, get your grandchildren to show you these pictures on the computer. (laughs) These storms, they're like a quarter of the size of the earth. My kids were saying, Dad, why can't scientists figure out a way to stop hurricanes? I'm going, well, let's see. Uh, because we're teeny, puny humans. Yeah, but we can do other things. You, you don't get how big these things are, guys. These things, the winds on these things are a quarter of the size of the earth. They're huge. Well, can't they, like, throw stuff in them? Yeah, forget it. I fail as a father. I can't explain this to you. Job 38, 12. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning... And caused the dawn to know its place. Do you understand how puny you are against the omnipotence of God? And the sunrise and the sunset reminds us. The recollection of God's omnipotence leads the worshipper to know this. Since He has this kind of power, He hears my prayer and He forgives me. And look at the nature around me to remind me the awesome power of His salvation. How can you save somebody? Could you save somebody? Sure you could. What if somebody needed a liver transplant or a kidney? Sure, but you might die in the process. Right? It happens. That's true. And they're going to die again. But you could save somebody. You could donate your organs and save some people's lives. Just postpones it, but it's nice. I want to keep people around a while. I'd happily give my organs to my kids. Happily. I'd give a kidney. Not a problem. You can have it. In fact, went through a process to do a transplant. It didn't actually occur, but went through a process to do it. And when, uh, when the doctor was telling me about all the things that could happen to me, he said, there's a 1% morbidity rate. I said, what's that mean? He goes, one out of 100 people die in this surgery. I said, that's not bad odds. And I looked at him and I said, well, can you do it? And he laughed. and goes, well, that would be the objective. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just wanted to know. You're telling me the odds. I mean, do you think you can pull this off or not? Let's get that clear before we do this. <laughs> um, you could save somebody, but you can't bring them back from the dead. And that's the one thing reserved for Messiah. Our only part in this is we die. His part to bring life from death number one he hears and forgives our prayers number two our god is righteous and omnipotent and let's look quickly at god as our abundant blessing verses 9 to 13 you visit the earth and cause it to overflow watch the use again you greatly enrich it the stream of god is full of water you prepare their grain for thus you prepare the earth You water its furrows abundantly. You settle its ridges. You soften it with showers. You bless its growth. You've crowned the year with your bounty. And your path drips with fatness the pastures of the field uh, wilderness drip and the hills gird themselves with rejoicing the meadows are clothed with flocks and the valleys are covered with grain they shout for joy yes they sing this last part gives the assurance that god is abundantly blessing the psalmist the worshiper if you look at this briefly just look back at your text look at the verbs visit enrich prepare prepare Water, settle, soften, bless, crown, drip, on they go. This, for the second person pronouns, the psalmist is saying, this is what you do that we can't ourselves do. Of course, the uh, references of Messiah come in, verse 9. Um, remember when Simeon sees the baby Jesus, he says what? God has visited redemption on his people. Visit is a very important Old and New Testament term because God has come to earth. He's visited us, and we see the, the double entendre in verse 9. You visit the earth, and you cause it to overflow. Um, Israel's needs and requirements were not stable markets. Israel didn't need a, a $700 billion rescue plan. Israel didn't need more oil. Israel didn't need world peace or any of those types of things we worry about. Israel didn't need to screen for terrorists. Israel needed peace from their enemies, and God granted them that rest when they obeyed him. But what did Israel need? Water. If you go to Israel today, the number one issue in Israel, beyond the fact that they're going to blow everybody up if they trouble them, uh, the number one issue in Israel is water. You pick up a local paper in Israel while you visit there, and you will read somebody talking about water. The Dead Sea is evaporating at an extraordinary rate. Probably in 50 to 75 years, it will be gone. And you know, ecologists, of course, want to fix that, so they want to go to the Mediterranean and pump seawater into the Dead Sea. Not a good plan. <laughs> Not a good plan. And uh, what they need is about you know, 20 inches of rain for you know every season for several years and low evaporative rates. Of course, global warming is causing that to happen. So. I'm teasing. Um, I just believe God's sovereign. That's what I believe. But anyway, um, they're worried about water. The ancients were worried about water, too. There were three kinds of water. Living water, water that was contained, and cisterns. Best water is living water. Cistern water is the worst water. And anywhere you go in Israel, you're going to see the attempts from Herod and the aqueducts that he built to bring water into the city or to go to Masada, the top of David's stronghold. You'll see these huge cisterns. They're dry today, but you'll see these huge cisterns where these poor mules and people had to pack water and pour them up and they'd fill these hundreds of thousands of gallons of water because you can't live without water. You can live without air conditioning. It's tough, but you can do it. But you can't live without water in a dry and arid land. I've been over to Israel, I don't know, eight or nine times now. And spring a year ago, we went. And we took a very small group, Cindy and I did. And it was the most verdant I'd ever seen in Israel. It was the most overwhelming spring. When we got off the buses, you could smell the orange blossoms from blocks away. Anybody buy Jaffa oranges? A Jaffa orange is an Israel orange from Jaffa, from Jaffa. When, when uh, Jonah went to Joppa instead of Nineveh, that's the same geographic area. Jaffa oranges. So you, every time you eat an orange, think of Jonah. Um, but that's where those oranges come from. And if you have not smelled an orange blossom, it's the most spectacular perfume fragrance. We got up the buses and all the flowers are blooming. We went to the Judean wilderness and it had a haze of green on it. I'd never seen green in the Judean wilderness. The one difference is they had water. That spring. You can't live without water and all of these things. Um, two quick stories. Went down uh, last summer to, um, from Chicago down to Peoria, Washington County. Any of you from Washington County, you know the area down there? Beautiful country. And we'd had a lot of rain that spring. And when you have seen corn in its height after spring rain, there's nothing more beautiful. I mean, these jet variations of green and all hues of green and those golden tops. It is the most extraordinary thing. And I went to see my friend down there and I said, man, I've never seen corn like this. And he said, quote, I can't remember when we've had such a good rain. For all man's technology, all his chemicals, all his nitrates, all of his sprinkler systems, he can't reproduce God's good rain. And the earth responds to this. As I was studying this passage, Gustav was hitting and Ike were coming in. My parents were in Houston. They were without power for about two weeks, and I talked to them every day. They're 81 and 85, and they were talking about the debris and the rain and the water. I uh, went to pick up a friend on September 13th at the O'Hare Airport, and there were, so many, there were six and a half inches of rain that day. And the air, If you know O'Hare, the luggage goes to the bottom. It's like a basement. It was flooded. So they wouldn't let people go get their luggage. All so they were just floating, I guess, you know. But anyway, um, it just shut down the airport, and I thought, six inches of water, and we're immobilized. We're so sophisticated. We can't handle a little rain. We can't handle a little wind. But when the wind and the rain come at the right time, Israel shouts for joy. Creation shouts for joy. Are your needs and mine really that different? A couple of quick lessons. Number one, silence. Practicing the art of silence is not something mystical and New Age-ish. It is a good way of worship. If you didn't see it, you'll notice the verse of one of the psalms speaks of silence, and the last verse of the psalm speaks of shouting. There's a time to be silent in worship. There's a time when creation shouts. I would argue you're not going to hear creation shout if you're talking all the time. You have to be quiet. Psalm 62.1, my soul waits in silence. Psalm 62.5, my soul waits in silence only for God. On and on they go. Number two, we are, to wel- we are welcomed to worship. You and I are welcome to come to worship. He hears your prayer. He hears my prayers. He forgives us. He welcomes us to worship. Write down in your notes Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Maybe you can look at that in your interaction time. Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. We are welcomed to worship by the new way. And lastly, when you and I, and again, you may be better than me. I'm not saying that condescendingly. You may be better than me, but I worry tremendously about our country. I worry tremendously about our Our freedoms, our economy, I think it's going to get worse and worse and worse. It's not because I'm a pessimist. It's because in my biblical theology, it's going to get worse and worse and worse until Christ returns. That will make you warm and filled today. Um, But I think it's going to be horrible. I think the economy is going to continue to struggle. I think morality is going to continue to decline. I think we're in for the worst years of our memory. Now, God's sovereign. In the gospel's good news, but when I get all spun up about this stuff, I take my mind back to antiquity, and I go, all they needed was good rain and Yahweh's protection. They didn't have IRAs. They didn't have investments. They didn't have tax shelters. They didn't have lake houses, mountain chalets. They didn't have anything that you and I have to have to feel secure. They had Yahweh, and if it rained, they were delighted. And the world (laughs) shouted for joy. The complexities of life have gotten a little more intricate, but the reality hasn't changed. He's sovereign. He's omnipotent. So when I fight off discouragement about the media, when I fight off discouragement about, I don't want to be Chicken Little, but I don't want to be Pollyanna either. I want to be a wise believer who counts his blessings, who's grateful for what I have. And I look at my life of 51 years, and by many standards in this room, I'm a young pup. And if that's your perspective of me, you've got even more mileage to look back and see how good he has been, how long he has carried you. Yes, life is full of really hard things, but you're here today. You're here today. He loves us. He hears our prayers. He forgives us. He is omnipotent. And creation shouts that at us. Our Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you that you are the sovereign. Forgive us when we don't count our blessings, when we become so fixated on bailouts and trials and terrorists and uncertainty of who will be our next president. You're sovereign. We're not. Help us to live that way. In Christ's name, amen. If you and I can turn our prayers uh, from the to-do lists and pray along the lines of the Psalms, uh, it will revolutionize our prayer lives. I can promise you that. I can guarantee you that. The sovereign is always deliberate. Jesus is never, oh, by the way, let's answer this prayer. God is a sovereign God a perfect judge, a righteous judge, and he hears you. He hears you every time you pray. Change your prayers from simply asking God to do a thing to worshiping him, to recognizing that he forgives you, to thank him for that forgiveness, to acknowledge the blessings that he has bestowed on you, to count your many blessings, to name them one by one, to know that he's sovereign, he's not pacing heaven's floor wringing his hands worrying about the affairs of the earth worrying about your family and mine he's a God who's sovereign who's in control who allows certain things to happen that we will never understand on this planet you know maturity is coming to the place that you quit blaming God and you quit blaming your parents and you understand that he's a sovereign God and he is in control and we live in a fallen context this is Michael Easley in context.